Chapter Twenty Three of Fame and Fortune. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. Fame and Fortune, or the Progress of Richard Hunter by Horatio Alger. Chapter Twenty Three, Fame and Fortune. Mister Gilbert chanced to be looking out of the window of Mister Rockwell's counting room when he was unpleasantly surprised by the sudden apparition of Mickey McGuire. He was destined to be still more unpleasantly surprised. Mickey walked up to the main entrance and entered with an assured air. Gilbert hastened to meet him and prevent his entrance. "'Clear out of here, you young rascal,' he said in a tone of authority. "'You're not wanted here.' "'I've come on business,' said Mickey, with a scowl of dislike, showing no intention of retreating. "'I have no business with you,' said Gilbert." "'Perhaps you haven't,' said Mickey. "'But Mr. Rockwell has.' "'Mr. Rockwell will have nothing to say to a vagabond like you.' "'He told me to come,' said Mickey resolutely. "'And I shan't go till I've seen him.' Gilbert did not believe this, but suspected that Mickey intended to betray him. And to this, of course, he had a decided objection. "'Go out,' he said imperiously, "'or I'll make you.' "'I won't, then,' said Mickey defiantly. "'We'll see about that.' Gilbert seized him by the shoulders. But Mickey was accustomed to fighting, and made a vigorous resistance. In the midst of the fracas, Mr. Rockwell came up. "'What does this mean?' he demanded in a quiet but authoritative tone. "'This young rascal has attempted to force his way in,' said the bookkeeper, desisting, and with a flushed face. "'I asked to see you,' said Mickey, and he said I shouldn't. "'I told him to come,' said Mr. Rockwell. "'You may come into the counting-room, Michael. Mr. Gilbert, I should like your presence also.' In surprise, not unmingled with foreboding, Mr. Gilbert followed his employer and Mickey McGuire into the counting-room. "'Mr. Gilbert,' commenced Mr. Rockwell, "'are you acquainted with this boy?' "'He blacked my boots on one occasion,' said the bookkeeper. "'I know no more of him except that he is a young vagabond and a thief.' "'Who hired me to steal?' retorted Mickey. "'I don't think you would need any hiring.' Mickey was about to retort in no choice terms, but Mr. Rockwell signed to him to be silent. "'This boy has made a charge against you, Mr. Gilbert,' he said, "'which you ought to be made aware of.' "'He is capable of any falsehood,' said the bookkeeper, "'but he began to be nervous. "'I thought your acquaintance with him was very slight.' "'So it is. "'But it is easy to judge from his looks what he is.' "'That is not always a safe guide. "'But to the charge. "'He asserts that you hired him to fix the charge of theft upon Richard, "'on account of your dislike to him.' "'So he did, and all he gave me was a dollar,' said Mickey, aggrieved. "'That was mean.' "'Do you believe this story?' asked Gilbert, turning to Mr. Rockwell. "'I know that you dislike Richard, Mr. Gilbert.' "'So I do. He's artful and bad. But you'll find him out some day.' "'I don't think you do him justice. Artful is the very last word I should apply to him.' "'You may be deceived.' "'If I am, I shall never put confidence in any boy again.' "'But you haven't answered the charge, Mr. Gilbert.' "'It isn't worth answering,' said the bookkeeper scornfully. "'Still, I would be glad to have you give an answer one way or the other,' persisted Mr. Rockwell. "'Then it's a lie, of course.' "'It's true,' said Mickey. "'I hope you consider my word as of more value than this vagabond's,' said Gilbert contemptuously. "'Why were you so anxious to prevent his entering, Mr. Gilbert?' "'I didn't see what business he could possibly have here.' "'Michael?' "'Will you give an account of all that has taken place between Mr. Gilbert and yourself? 
I do not yet feel satisfied. Mr. Rockwell, said Gilbert in a passion, I do not choose to submit to the insulting investigation you propose. My month is out next Thursday. I beg leave to resign my situation. Your resignation is accepted, said Mr. Rockwell quietly. If it is convenient to you, I should like to leave at once, said the bookkeeper, livid with passion. As you please, said his employer. Your salary shall be paid up to the end of the month. To this Gilbert offered no opposition. The balance of his salary was paid him, and he left the warehouse in a very unpleasant frame of mind, much to the gratification of Mickey McGuire, who felt that his vengeance was complete. Now, Michael, said Mr. Rockwell, I must see what I can do for you. Do you wish to give up your present business? Yes, said Mickey. I don't like it. I can give you a situation as errand boy in my own employ, said Mr. Rockwell. My head clerk will explain your duties. What wages will I get? asked Mickey anxiously. For the present you shall have a dollar a day, or six dollars a week. I will besides give you a new suit of clothes. Will that suit you? Yes, said Mickey, feeling as if he had unexpectedly become heir to a fortune. When will I begin? Tomorrow, if you like. Come here this afternoon at three, and I will send Richard with you to a clothing house. Just then Dick, who had been to the post office, entered, and Mr. Rockwell in a few words informed him of the changes that had taken place. I believe you and Michael haven't been very good friends, he added, but I trust you will get over that. Dick promptly offered his hand to his old enemy. I am glad you are coming here, Mickey, he said. I'll do all I can to help you on, and if we are not good friends, it won't be my fault. Do you mean that, Dick? said Mickey, almost incredulous. Yes, I do. I've acted mean by you more than once. If you have, it's all over now, said Dick. There's no use remembering it. You're a good fellow, Dick, said Mickey, and I ought to have known it before. Dick was gratified by this testimony from one who for years had been his active opponent, and he determined to help Mickey to turn over the new leaf which was to bear a very different record from the old one. When Mickey had gone out, Mr. Rockwell said, Well, Richard, I have lost my bookkeeper. Yes, sir, said Dick, and I can't say I am sorry. I will do Mr. Gilbert the justice to say that he understood his business, but he was personally disagreeable, and I never liked him. Now I suppose I must look out for a successor. Yes, sir, I suppose so. I know a very competent bookkeeper, who is intending to go into business for himself at the expiration of six months. Until that time I can secure his services. Now I have a plan in view which I think you will approve. You shall at once commence the study of bookkeeping in a commercial school in the evening, and during the day I will direct Mr. Haley to employ you as his assistant. I think in that way you will be able to succeed him at the end of his term. Dick was completely taken by surprise. The thought that he, so recently plying the trade of a bootblack in the public streets, could rise in six months to the responsible post of a bookkeeper in a large wholesale house, seemed almost incredible. I should like nothing better, he said, his eyes sparkling with delight, if you really think I could discharge the duties satisfactorily. I think you could. I believe you have the ability, and of your fidelity I feel assured. Thank you, sir. You are very kind to me, said Dick gratefully. I have reason to be, said Mr. Rockwell, taking his hand. Under God it is to your courage that I owe the life of my dear boy. I shall never forget it. One thing more. I intend Michael to undertake most of your present duties, such as going to the post office, etc. Do you think he will answer? I think so, said Dick. He has been a rough customer, but then he has never had a chance. I believe in giving everybody a chance. 
"'So do I,' said Mr. Rockwell. "'Michael shall have his chance. Let us hope he will improve it. There are many boys, and men too, who, like Mickey McGuire, have never had a fair chance in life. Let us remember that when we judge them, and not be too hasty to condemn. Let us consider also whether it is not in our power to give someone the chance that may redeem him. That afternoon Mickey McGuire was provided with a new suit of clothes, of which he felt very proud. The next morning on his way to the post office he fell in with his old confederate, Limpy Jim, who regarded him with a glance of the most bewildering surprise. "'It ain't you, Mickey, is it?' he asked, cautiously surveying his old comrade's neat appearance. "'When did you come back from the island?' "'Shut up about the island, Jim,' said Mickey. "'Do I look as if I had been there?' "'You look knobby,' said Jim. "'Where's your brush?' "'I've give up the blackin' business,' said Mickey. "'You have? What are you going to do, sell papers?' "'No,' said Mickey, consequentially. "'I'm in business on Pearl Street.' "'Why?' said Limpy Jim, surprised. "'That's where that upstart Ragged Dick works.' "'He ain't an upstart, and he ain't ragged,' said Mickey. "'He's a friend of mine, and if you insult him, I'll lame ye.' "'Oh, my eyes!' ejaculated Jim, opening the organs of vision to a very wide extent. "'That's the biggest joke I ever heard of.' "'You'll hear a bigger one pretty quick,' said Mickey, rolling up his sleeves and squaring off scientifically. Limpy Jim, who had a respect for Mickey's prowess, incontinently fled surveying Mickey from a safe distance, with a look in which surprise seemed to mingle with incredulity. It may seem strange, but from that time forth, Dick had no firmer friend than Mickey McGuire, who, I am glad to say, though occasionally wayward, improved vastly, and became a useful employee of the establishment which he had entered. Of course, both in ability and education, though in the last he gained considerably, he was quite inferior to Dick, but he was advanced as he grew older to the position of porter, where his strength stood him in good stead. His pay increased also, and through Dick's influence he was saved from vicious habits, and converted from a vagabond to a useful member of society. And now, almost with regret, I find myself closing up the record of Dick's checkered career. The past with its trials is over, the future expands before him, a bright vista of merited success but it remains for me to justify the title of my story, and show how Dick acquired fame and fortune. I can only hint briefly at the steps that led to them. In six months, at the age of seventeen, Dick succeeded to Mr. Gilbert's place with a salary, to commence with, of one thousand dollars. To this an annual increase was made, making his income at twenty-one fourteen hundred dollars. Just about that time he had an opportunity to sell his uptown lots, to a gentleman who had taken a great fancy to them, for five times the amount he paid, or five thousand dollars. His savings from his salary amounted to about two thousand dollars more. Meanwhile, Mr. Rockwell's partner, Mr. Cooper, from ill health, felt obliged to withdraw from business, and Richard, to his unbounded astonishment and gratification, was admitted to the post of junior partner, embarking the capital he had already accumulated, and receiving a corresponding share of the profits. These were so large that Richard was able to increase his interest yearly by investing his additional savings, and three years later he felt justified in offering his hand to Ida Grayson, whose partiality to Dick had never wavered. He was no longer Ragged Dick now, but Mr. Richard Hunter, junior partner in the large firm of Rockwell and Hunter. Mr. Grayson felt that even in a worldly way Dick was a good match for his daughter, but he knew and valued still more his good heart and conscientious fidelity to duty, 
and excellent principles, and cheerfully gave his consent. Last week I read Dick's marriage in the papers, and rejoiced in his new hopes of happiness. So Dick has achieved fame and fortune, the fame of an honorable and enterprising man of business, and a fortune which promises to be very large. But I am glad to say that Dick has not been spoiled by prosperity. He never forgets his humble beginnings, and tries to show his sense of God's goodness by extending a helping hand to the poor and needy boys whose trials and privations he understands well from his own past experience. I propose in my next story to give an account of one of these boys, and shall take the opportunity to give further information in regard to some of the characters introduced in this volume. This story, the third in the Ragged Dick series, will be entitled, Mark the Match Boy, or Richard Hunter's Ward. End of chapter 23 End of Fame and Fortune, or The Progress of Richard Hunter, by Horatio Alger